Welcome to this week's episode of 16 Minutes, our show where we cover tech trends in the news and also cover themes from company developer and innovation events. I'm Zoran, and today we cover the latest coming out of Apple's event this week. The company announced a bunch of things, ranging from new device colors and form factors to podcast services. But in this episode, we asked regular guest, A16Z board partner, and former Microsoft Windows president, Stephen Sanofsky, for his views. He's appeared on past such event episodes, including covering CES and Apple's M1 chip. Stephen shares what he thinks all these moves say about the evergreen consumer versus professional question, to what the company's new devices, namely tablets, personal computers, and TVs, tell us about the long arc of innovation. To be clear, none of the following should be taken as investment advice. See a16z.com slash disclosures for more important information. We'll begin with the location tracking device, the AirTag, which was announced at the event. Stephen kicks it off with the big picture of what makes this type of product notable. The core thing that the product leverages that's not immediately obvious when you look at it is it leverages the over billion Apple devices that are out there to create essentially this anonymous, private, mesh location network. If you live in a crowded metropolitan area, you're not going to be far from an Apple device that can locate your lost phone or your lost luggage. Okay, so we've been hearing about this product for a long time, actually. So let's dig into it. What are AirTags, actually? They're basically a little location dongle. So it adds the Find My capability that you have with your AirPods, your iPhone, or your watch, or your Mac. It adds that capability to wherever holds the little device. And so you could drop them in your purse, or you could put them on a pet collar, all sorts of stuff. But you could also buy like a little luggage tag that's made of plastic for $29, all the way up to some crazy $450 Hermes luggage tag. So Stephen, let's tease apart what's hype and what's real as we do on 16 Minutes. How does this actually work? You said it leverages Apple's scale and does these amazing things, but how does it do that? So imagine you have one of these air tags and you put it in your purse, and you leave your purse at the movie theater. And then you're home. You took the subway home and you're like, oh, I left my purse or my wallet at the movie theater. Well, the problem is where does that radio, what is it talking to? And in order to have this thing that's really small, that has a tiny little battery that lasts for a year, it can't have like a cell phone in it that's pinging a cell network. And it can't have Wi-Fi because like, how would it know to connect to the Wi-Fi network in a movie theater? So it uses this low energy Bluetooth connection, which is sort of the commodity technology that this is built on. But instead of talking to receivers that Apple pays to put into every mall and every movie theater and every restaurant and every bus, it just uses all the other Apple devices that are nearby as sort of the network that it can talk to, built out by people who happen to own Apple devices. All right, so Apple unveils this long-awaited location product at the event. What about privacy and security? Did they address that at the announcement? Well, Apple has you know, done their very best to think through all of these scenarios where inappropriate use of tracking technology can be put to work. And so there's a bunch of work that they showed in the demonstrations that they've talked about, even leading up to all of this, that make it pretty solid in terms of nefarious use cases for the device. Stephen, you were on a previous episode of 16 Minutes talking about Apple's in-house chip, the M1. And this week, Apple unveiled a redesigned iMac featuring this chip. So what stood out to you? Yeah, so it's definitely for consumers. It's not just that it comes in seven colors, depending on the configuration, but it doesn't have the extensibility, the screen size, 
that, quote, professional users want. And by professional users, I primarily mean creative professionals who are really pushing on the limits of local storage, local video processing. You know, they need the big extensible GPU, multiple GPUs, et cetera. It has only a 24-inch screen, although it is 4.5K. It does have two Thunderbolt ports. And it's the evolution of, you know, Johnny Ive, original iMac, the yum and all the colors. I suspect we'll see this on movie sets, TV sets, and it'll just be the kind of device that you see visibly placed in products. It's so thin that the headphone jack is now on the side rather than through the back. It's like a big iPad without touch. Like if you look on the side, it looks exactly like the iPad and the keyboard stand, which is obviously intentional. It's not cheap. You know, you compare it to like a Windows PC all in one and it could be twice as much easily. It comes in crazy configurations on the storage side. I think that the eight gigabyte memory 512 or one terabyte are sweet spot configurations. And that's 1999 with the new Touch ID Magic Keyboard, which is actually going to be super helpful. So if you have a stationary use case, this is going to be a great device. So how about in the context of remote work, which has become so much more prevalent in the pandemic, how's Apple addressing that, if at all, with the new iMac? It depends on your home situation, whether or not having a desktop is even an option. Families with multiple kids all in school The laptop is a savior because the kids can move around the house and find when they need a quiet space. Now, I will say this computer weighs like 10 pounds. It's not like furniture moving if you do want to move it. I mean, you just pick it up and it weighs like only slightly more than a bunch of Windows laptops. So you just pick it up and move it. It's one plug into the wall. So it all depends on your home setup as to whether or not desktop makes a resurgence for you. The sales numbers haven't really shown that, but there aren't very many great desktops to buy. Now there is one. So staying on the M1 chip theme, Apple also announced a new iPad Pro, also built with the M1. So what's the takeaway there? What are the pluses and minuses? Well, it's certainly another wow device. You now have the M1 chip across the Mac line and the iPad line. They did a new 11-inch and a new 12.9-inch. The 12.9 gets the fancy XDR screen. The specs now, like you go up to two terabytes of storage on an iPad, which is really the only use for that is video. And so if you're putting a bunch of video or recording a bunch of video, you've got that. The big ad is Thunderbolt 4 support on the iPad, which gives you 6K output. Now that sounds really good. The challenge is, is that the iPad apps, most of them haven't been tuned for what to do if they have that much screen. So you'll just see like a lot of weird white space But if you are doing video, the 6K output is super interesting because you can sort of do the control and the UI of editing or broadcast or whatever from the iPad screen. And then you can see and preview your output at 6K. The Thunderbolt will help the speed of storage and a whole bunch of other stuff that is all pro use scenarios. The iPad OS picks up a lot of Mac-like support. Like if you plug in external microphones, and things like that. They all work super well on an iPad. They are different on an iPhone, especially on audio devices. So the iPad just has more and more of that Mac-like thing, and they are converging. What's the pricing range, and how does it compare to the Mac? It's very expensive as a device. That's the interesting thing. Like, a MacBook Air is $1,249 for the 13-inch. The iPad Pro is $1,399 before you have a keyboard. And then you add the $349 keyboard. So you're looking at $1,750, with Wi-Fi compared to the Mac. 
you know, basically differentiated by touch and which apps it runs. So we have Apple making these announcements about new iMac and iPad products, lots of headlines and opinions, as there always are in the wake of these events. But it's interesting that you mentioned how the new iMac looks like an iPad. What do you take away in terms of how the company views these two cornerstone devices? Well, my view of it is, is that their heart is in the iPad and they see that as the future. And so that's why the iPad is the high end. It's why the iPad maintains sort of the purity and it doesn't run the kitchen sink of everything, which enthusiast view is an asset of the Mac. Also, the iPad has all the margin. You know, you buy an iPad with a keyboard and toss in an Air Maze locator tag thing, you know, and <laughs> you're the Air like, Maze that gets you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of margin. You know, the iPad and iMac now are literally the same hardware in the same configurations, differentiated by choices in form factor and the hardware. And then the software is what differentiates them completely at this point. The Mac continues to do a great job uh, taking share from the PC. But, you know, the iPad still more than twice the number of units as the Mac for Apple. So that's why I say their heart is probably in the iPad. All right. So we've talked about the AirTag and about the iMac and the iPad. The company also announced a new paid service for podcasts. But let's stay with the devices and talk about the new 4K Apple TV. What's new about it? The device itself, it looks a lot like the old device, but it has the A12 Bionic chip in it. The big news was it's a brand new Siri remote, which is you know, the old remote was just so horrible. It now will have a power mute and volume for your TV in the remote. The coolest thing that they did is that they've done color balance using your phone, the camera in your phone. You know, most of the panels you get, you see them at the store and they have these crazy settings where they jack up the contrast and the brightness that have nothing to do with what you should really see it. Then you get home and, you know, there's all this fancy stuff in it like HDR and 4K but you have no idea how to tune it and you have no reference to really look at it. So you maybe if you're really into it, you go to Netflix and you use some of the reference channels to sort of futz with it, but you don't know what you're doing. If you actually have a Sonos speaker bar, they use the iPhone to do their true play, I think it's called, where you kind of walk around the room holding up your iPhone and it audio tunes the processing that it does on the speaker locations, which is just great. And this does that for video as well. You know. I think that if you have a Roku or Apple TV or Google Chromecast, YouTube TV, Android, look, the cord cutting thing is such a vastly better experience. Even if you're just switching between apps, and this is Apple's entree into it, tied in an interesting way to their service. All right. So we've talked about these four new devices. What else was notable for you at the event? Was there anything that felt like it highlighted challenges for Apple? So they did some announcements on podcasts, like Apple's podcast. They're the pioneers in delivering it. They're great. But it's very tricky to understand where they're heading as a sort of a vertically integrated service in a way. You know, definitely they're offering revenue sharing, subscriptions, free episodes to subscribers only, like a whole bunch of stuff in the podcast world. But is that really going to be the breakthrough for subscribing to a podcast network? compared to sort of the pure play people. And it's always in that weird spot. Like, will podcasts succeed on its own? You know, what are their terms and conditions for the creatives involved? Will they get the best terms or the best distribution? So it's a very tough spot to be in when it's so clear where Apple's business model comes from. And this has always been a challenge for everybody in adjacent businesses. Bottom line, Stephen, what's your big picture takeaway from this event and what it means for the next few years in consumer products? 
Well, you know, look, the Apple of today is at an unprecedented scale for any company in any industry. And they're executing extraordinarily well. The thing that's going to happen is at some point, there's going to be something new that Apple didn't make that everybody likes. But who knows what that is, where it's going to be, or what it's going to be. The thing that's fascinating that has never happened in the history of business before is that there isn't a product that has such distribution around the world where in order for the next big thing to happen, it has to replace the product that everybody has, not just add to it. So Apple got to where it was by finding all new customers. And now that they have all new customers and everybody on earth has a smartphone, like the next thing has to appeal to everybody on earth out of the gate. Like it means that that's their base. And, you know, there's been like this uptick of devices that got sold during the pandemic. Unlike before, these devices went to everyone and they're going to last seven years, 10 years. Like you're not going to be replacing the iPads that got bought during the pandemic for a really long time. I mean, they're not going to break. And so what's going to happen? Like, how does that really work? And this is uncharted territory for any company. But execution-wise, what they've done with the watch, what they're doing with AirTags, like these are great products that continue to expand the iPhone as an anchor product. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much.